The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These podcasts are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. So the question is, why do we need uh, to dilute the submissions by sending uh, some of them to another journal? But in reality, over the past few years, the acceptance rate at fertility and sterility has dropped so much that there is really lots and lots of very good science that has to go elsewhere. It has been 70 years since the publication of the first issue of Fertility and Sterility, and the publishing landscape continues to evolve towards more open access journals. We will talk about new offerings from Fertility and Sterility today on the podcast. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I am Jeffrey Hayes. Our guest on the show today is Dr. Rick Paulson, and we sat down to talk about the new open access journal F&S Reports. I began our conversation by asking him, why do we need a new journal from Fertility and Sterility in 2020? Right. Great question. And uh, that was actually the question that I attempted to answer in the opening editorial of FNS Reports. And of course, the basic answer is, is because uh, there has been truly an explosion uh, in the world of science in terms of the output of scientific knowledge and at the same time, really an increased need for publication space. So if anything, I would argue that the launching of FNS reports is maybe a little late. We probably had uh, uh, enough submissions to fertility and sterility some time ago to have justified the launching of another journal. In launching FNS reports, what were some of the specific challenges uh, that led to its inception? Well, I would say that uh, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine has been very enamored with fertility and sterility for good reason for a very long time. And so the question is, why do we need uh, to dilute the submissions by sending uh, some of them to another journal? But in reality, over the past few years, the acceptance rate at fertility and sterility has dropped so much that there is really lots and lots of very good science that has to go elsewhere. We wanted to capture that, and we also wanted to provide a place for the ASRM members to be able to submit and to publish their research in one of our publications. Since this is a new journal, who's on the editorial board? What do they bring to the table? Well, so I wanted to uh, reach out rather widely, and uh, the editorial board is still in evolution because the number of submissions continues to climb, and so we needed fewer at the beginning, and now we're going to need more and more editors as time goes along. But I'm very thankful to my associate editors, Mark Sauer, who's in uh, New Jersey, and Emily Youngheim, who is in Chicago. So we... Uh, sort of straddled the uh, United States. I'm in Los Angeles, of course. We've also added on a new associate editor, Pietro Bortoletto, who is in New York City and is a fellow and is, in fact, helping us uh, with social media posts. Uh, he handles uh, some of the case reports and so on. And I really wanted to have the broad spectrum, not only covering reproductive endocrinology, urology, embryology, and so on, but also really the interests of older uh, members, uh, perhaps more senior members like myself, as well as uh, younger members of the ASRM, people who are in fellowship or finishing fellowship in the near future. 
So would you say then that that is more of a target audience the journal is looking for? If not, what's the type of audience that will be looked for here that will be different from just fertility and sterility or FNS reviews? Well, I mean, I think we all as fertility specialists are the target audience probably of all of the reproductive journals. I'm hoping that FNS Reports, because it is a new journal and because it is open access, uh, should have the ability to publish some of the less comprehensive uh, uh, scientific reports that I think will make it into fertility and sterility. So if there's a large prospective randomized trial that encompasses 10,000 patients, that will go into fertility and sterility, whereas uh, FNS reports accept case reports and case series. I'm still of the belief that case reports, you know, change the world. Louise Brown was a case report. The first report of ICSI was a case report. The first report of egg donation after uterine flushing was a case report. All of these, I think, need a place to go. And a lot of scientific journals are not accepting case reports anymore. So I want to have that. So my target audience is anyone who's curious about what is new and on the cutting edge, you will find it here. With open access, more people will have access to this information. Does that also mean that you will be accepting more types of authorship, maybe than previously that had not been accepted with the original Fertility and Sterility? Well, Fertility and Sterility get so many submissions uh, that they really do have to limit what they accept to those articles that are going to be quoted the most, that are going to be the most impactful, and by that I mean affecting the impact factor of the journal, because you have limited space. So that's what you got. I The FNS reports still is new. We're receiving now between 20 and 30 submissions a month. And that does not mean that we publish everything. I, I would say our acceptance rate is probably around 50%, but certainly we are open to the possibility of other submissions and other kinds of articles that we, we hope to publish. As this is a new journal, is there an impact factor and does it appear in PubMed? So thank you for asking that. Yes, as a new journal, it will take us three years to get an impact factor. The impact factor for 2019, for example, is calculated by looking at the citations for 2017 and 2018. Obviously, we did not exist in 2017 or 2018. So there are no citations and we have no impact factor. It'll take about three years for us uh, to be able to do that. And we are not yet listed in PubMed. In order to apply for that, you need to have 40 articles published. Since we are currently reviewing our 140th submission, I think we should be there shortly. We will apply for that. And as soon as that is granted, all of the articles will be indexed and cited retrospectively. So anything that is published in 2020 probably will not be available in PubMed for another year or so. So if you are getting ready to be promoted and your particular institution insists that there be a PMID number on your CV, this is not a good time for you to publish in FNS reports. But if that's not going to happen for another year or two, I think you're going to be okay. How often is FNS Reports looking to publish? What's going to be the publication schedule? And also, how many articles and pieces per issue will be the makeup of it? So that's an excellent question, and it becomes slightly less important in the context of online publishing. Because, of course, now that we have launched our first issue, as soon as an article is accepted, it is going to immediately be published online and be available. But we are going to compile them 
into issues. And at the beginning, Elsevier, who is the publisher, decided that we should publish quarterly. So that's that's where we are. Our first issue came out in June. The next one is due in September and so on. But again, the the concept of how often they come out becomes a little bit less important when you realize that as soon as an article is accepted, it appears online. And because it's open access, you can access it from anywhere and the media can access it and so forth. So, so I really think that the, the open access model changes a lot of those kind of parameters. So new journal, new challenges that arise with this. What challenges down the road do you foresee and what should the audience be looking forward to? Well, the way I see this uh, moving ahead is that I think the fertility and sterility family of journals uh, will actually work together in uh, what I hope is going to be essentially a seamless uh, fashion. Uh, Fertility and sterility already has a particular kind of format. As you know, at the beginning, there is always a views and reviews. There's a number of editorials and then a number uh, of uh, original submissions, which are typically accompanied by uh, an editorial. And the uh, FNS reports will have many reviews and case reports and other sorts of things that I think can actually complement the FNS structure. Then we have FNS science, which specifically targets an audience that's going to be interested in more basic scientific kind of publications. And then, of course, reviews, which is designed for very large, comprehensive reviews, which right now also uh, cannot be published in fertility and sterility, which limits its reviews to the views and reviews section. So I really see a symbiosis between these four uh, journals uh, as they work together and uh, and move ahead and really provide the optimal platform both for our members to be able to publish as well as for our members to be able to access this content and be able to use it uh, in the way they want. Thank you so much, Dr. Paulson. Do you observe a change in the science being published in fertility and sterility? Well, yes, I would say uh, one of the pleasures of uh, launching the new journal was the exercise of going through and looking at the original publication, the original issue of Fertility Sterility published in 1950, and kind of observing how different things were back then and how things have progressed in the ensuing 70 years. And it it is clear, of course, that the science is different, it's more advanced, but it is most importantly of a much higher quality. Even when I was a fellow uh, in the 1980s, uh, still many of the publications, probably most of the publications in fertility and sterility were retrospective uh, case series and series reports. Uh, The notion that that, uh, prospective randomized trials were going to be common uh, really would, it was a dream, and they really are common now. The, the uh, bar has been set higher and higher. All prospective trials have to be registered ahead of time to make sure that uh, negative trials are not lost. The scientific rigor, data analysis, and so forth has really improved and, uh, and uh, is much more rigorous now than it used to be. This, I think, is very important for the advance of the field and for the ability for us to disseminate this information in a meaningful way. The new trials are much less likely to be biased. 
They're uh, less likely, therefore, to lead us astray, take us down the wrong path, and so on. So I, I really think that there has been a big change. That same scientific rigor, of course, is going to be brought to these uh, uh, new journals. We want to make sure that the science that we publish is of the highest quality, reproducibility, and therefore leads us to meaningful results and conclusions. FNS Reports is an open access journal. What is the advantage of an open access journal? So open access journal means that the authors normally pay for their articles to be published. And that means that the reader has immediate or open access to all of the content wherever you are. The great advantage of that is, is that there is no need to download any of the articles and keep them in files because they're wherever you go. Uh, you can access the journal from your tablet, from your computer, from your smartphone, wherever you are, you say, oh, I remember there being an article. You simply open up the website, touch it, and it appears instantly. So this clearly is going to be the wave of the future. I think it is the future of publishing and, uh, and, and will be far more prevalent than it is today. I would point out that some articles uh, that are published, for example, in Europe uh, are mandated uh, to be published under the open access format because the funding source feels that if, the, uh, if they are giving you money for the study, they are also giving you money to publish it in a way that the public can access it immediately. I would point out that for us uh, at Fertility and Sterility Reports, uh, the, the publication fees are waived for calendar 2020. So this is actually a window of opportunity for young investigators that would like to publish with us. Now is the time to do it. There are no fees until 2021. What part of this inaugural issue then would you like people to be aware of? Well, I have to tell you that I've been a great fan of fertility and sterility my entire life. And so the fact that I was given this opportunity to, uh, to help launch this journal, uh, I took very seriously. Uh, so in addition to my editorial, a new journal, which of course mirrors the, the opening editorial of Fertility and Sterility from 1950, which was also entitled A New Journal, uh, I have uh, three, uh, I think, very important editorial uh, contributions. The one I'm very happy about is the Noyes, Herding, and Rock Revisited. Uh, everyone knows that the first article in Fertility and Sterility in 1950 was the Noyes, Herding, and Rock paper on uh, endometrial evaluation. It was a paper that introduced the concept of endometrial progression and that it could be evaluated. Uh, we're still using it today. It's still a matter of some controversy. And so uh, I asked Harvey Kleiman, uh, a gynecologist and pathologist, uh, to, uh, to write this uh, retrospective, putting that paper uh, into perspective. And I, I very much enjoyed reading it. I think the readers will as well. We also had Alan DeCherney and his uh, collaborator, Olivia Carpinello, write an article called Impact, where they actually looked at the members of the original editorial board and, uh, and put them into perspective and see what they accomplished. Finally, there's a look forward by Elia Dashi and uh, Glenn Cohen called Reproduction Reimagined. Elia Dashi is one of our most brilliant thinkers 
And uh, his perspective on where reproduction is going and what the field will look like in a few decades, I think, is very uh, interesting and, and I, I think very compelling. So those are our articles at the beginning. In addition to that, of course, we have a, a handful of uh, original articles that address a variety of issues, male factor, and as promised, uh, interesting case reports. I want to point out that whereas we have held up the publication of the first issue until it was together specifically so that we could have these editorials leading the way, from now on, every article uh, that is accepted by us will immediately appear on the website. So I think this is going to make it very appealing in terms of uh, submission, acceptance, and an immediate appearance uh, on the website. I intend to have a, a news and views section so that uh, we can be kept abreast of the developments in our own field and publish letters to the editor as well as correspondence. So I want it to be timely. I want it to be interactive. I want it to be interesting, something that you will want to read on a weekly basis. Dr. Paulson, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, uh, giving us an opportunity with the, uh, with the new journal. Thank you. That was Dr. Rick Paulson, editor-in-chief of the new open access journal F&S Reports. Until next time, I am Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, other information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. 